This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here on a thank goodness and great out. It's Friday. It's another Friday. This roll around like you can't believe. Uh, we're here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Mellon Law Studio. Mellon Law, with their 50 years of experience and the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida. And of course, we're protected by crime prevention, cpss.net, 24 365. And you take a look at the mugshots over there and see who is on there each day, Maurice T. McDaniel. Well, a lot of things to talk about today in terms of what the, 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 the relativity of Ward Scott files to the increasingly, first it was national, now it's state news, emphasis on uh, elections. And I want to give you a little history, of course, if you don't know it, yesterday, DeSantis uh, went down to South Florida and made a big announcement down there that uh, he was going to crack down on what we have been feeding him for quite some time. And that is uh, at least other outlets and maybe he's picked them up, uh, letting him understand that uh, there's some things going on out there that probably need to be uh, taken a, a look at. And that is the integrity of the voter rolls. Right. So uh, we've mentioned and caught and, and displayed and and done uh, things that um, um, would uh, let me check my screens here now would uh, uh, help you understand the, the relationship of, of, of what we've discovered to what we've always thought should have maybe been the uh, priorities of the supervisor of elections and, uh, you know, perhaps some other agency other than just the uh, kind of uh, investigations we do through the excellent work of Mark Glazer, who really is a national name now. And I've titled the show today, uh, The One Man Band, because He's referenced in a, a news release yesterday as a one-man band. And let's uh, start the show there and why Mark is referenced as a one-man band. In a publication called First Read, um, the, co uh, the comments by the editor there are kind of interesting. Uh, as Governor Ron DeSantis announced Thursday that up to 20 felons will be charged with illegal uh, voting in the 2020 election, one name and one name was conspicuously not mentioned. And this is pretty interesting that this gentleman here, this editor, has been watching this and realizes this. You know, a lot of times people who begin things and sustain things and get them to a level of, um, of uh, you know, real concern are never when the level gets uh, raised, given any mention. Um, then it's taken over and it's possessed by uh, the politicians or whoever then can make some hay out of it. This is really kind of the case here. And this uh, editor has recognized this when he said that as Governor Ron DeSantis announced Thursday that the 20 felons will be charged with illegal voting in the 2020 election, one name was conspicuously not mentioned. Gainesville researcher and activist 
I don't know that Mark is an activist. He's not really an activist. He doesn't get involved in uh, political activism. He simply is a researcher. So I do take issue with the editor here by saying uh, Mark is an activist. He's, he's not an activist. I take it from me. Uh, I'm not an activist. I'm not down carrying a, a placard on the street corner, uh, rabble rousing at the meetings. Um, I'm a talk show host. I'm a news guy. So uh, he is Mark, a Gainesville researcher. And the rest of this is pretty much accurate. Mark has been a one-man band in recent months uh, looking into a 2020 voter registration drive at the Alachua County Jail. And that is true. You know that we first told you about that here on the Ward Scott Files, and we were the first ones to push this. Uh, Glazier then filed a series of complaints that identified potentially hundreds of illegal ballots cast by inmates around the state. And that was finally, according to the Gainesville Sunset, we finally got them to pay attention, which helped lead to nine voter beep cases. Uh, and then the latest names were released late Thursday and were described as convicted murderers and sex offenders in an FDLE press release. Well, okay, I, I mentioned that and I went back into research a little bit of how long we've been um, alerting people to this. And I'm just going to read um, some, some, oh, just uh, comments that have come over the time. We, we've been doing this here in Newsmax and uh, Max in March of 2022. Um, Charlie McCarthy there of Newsmax um, wrote an article about uh, the, the elections and the uh, fact that uh, there was a situation going on in the Alaska County Jail where uh, a, a supervised relations worker had gone in and signed up illegitimate illegal voters. Uh, Politico carried this story. Um, so the first one to really break this story nationally for us was, of course, uh, Breitbart. And Breitbart uh, mentioned the Ward Scott Files. And, in fact, Glazer and the Ward Scott Files worked together. Um, in March also here, we began to really sort of build up momentum. And we had Right Side Broadcasting Network uh, start writing about this and uh, casting a, a, a light on uh, the issue of convicted felons casting votes during the 2020 presidential election. That was our story. That was Mark's research. Uh, it wasn't activism. It was just research. Um, this show is not activism. It's just research. And I do research and present it to you, and you all do what you need to do with it and carry on from there and hopefully expand on the research and take it up as you feel uh, is necessary for you to be interested. Um, so, in uh, Right Side Broadcasting Network, um, Mark is referred to as a researcher. He dug into voter database and compared the names against lists of convicted sex offenders. You know, we don't know yet why the supervisor election doesn't do that. Well, finally, I'm going to read a letter to you that shows that the supervisor election has finally started doing it. I'll get to that. I want to give you the chronology of this so that you know how long the Ward Scott Files with Mark Glazer has been working on this story. It, go back, it goes back a long, long way. And it was difficult in the beginning to get it going. Uh, we had to get Kramer's attention. He wasn't particularly interested. Um, and finally, we prevailed upon him. And, and he tried to dump it. He, he dumped it over to FDLE. Then FDLE you know, finally dumped it to the sheriff. No, he dumped it to the sheriff. And then the sheriff sent it over to FDLE. And the FDLE did an investigation. Uh, Kramer wasn't going to do an investigation. Uh, but he didn't have time to do it. Uh, he had real crime to deal with. Uh, he really didn't uh, take it. Very, he didn't have the manpower to do it. 
I can't remember all the litany of excuses, but uh, he didn't want to do it. We took it to him first and said, this is in your county here, your area. And you look into it. Well, he didn't want to look into it. So he gave it to the sheriff. And honestly, we really think that probably he was hoping the sheriff would drop it. Uh, but the sheriff, Post Watson Jr., didn't drop it. He sent it over to FDLE, who took a long time doing it. And once they got into it, well, they made a very thorough report. And that was uh, the beginning of that investigation. But it was not easy to get attention. And finally, we got Brian to agree that, okay, I remember his parting words to us. Uh, to get over to FDLE, it'll take a long time. You know, often people feel that justice delayed is justice denied. But this never did. We never let up on this story. We never backed off this story. We knew it was a, a true bill, if you will. So um, this was reported by Right Side Broadcasting Network in uh, March of 22, March 7th. So I earmarked that one for you. Uh, we also have then uh, and John Binder and 24th, March 22, uh, on uh, Politico uh, reporting uh, that investigations are underway after researcher Mark Glazer uh, began cross-checking Florida voter lists against lists of the state's convicted sex offenders and felons. So we're really getting a, a, a lot of attention by state and national news organizations along in March. Uh, we had to keep pressure on, if you would, uh, pedal to the metal to get these institutions off square one and then make uh, sure that the outlets that we thought were uh, uh, possibly uh, helpful uh, picked it up and started to run with it. So Politico picked it up and reported on it. And um, uh, they, were, they, were, they were therefore involved and things began to, we, we think probably about this time that we began to get the, the governor's attention because soon there was this election crimes uh, committee formed. And yesterday was the governor's uh, splash on that by saying, see what we've done now. We've got an elections crimes committee. Uh, we're going to uh, really ramp this up and go looking for this in an earnest way. We know there's hundreds and hundreds of these people who voted, uh, but we'll see now. We don't have the resources, nor the time, nor the, the money, uh, nor the, what it takes to, to do these things to, in a large scale uh, level, to do this ourselves. So we've been hoping that, yes, the governor will pick it up, uh, the supervisor's elections will pick it up, and that sort of thing. But these, uh, uh, these examples, I, I, I'll assure you, are all over the place out there. So um, in July of, of 22, Vision Times picked up on this uh, story and said that there were several voter beep probes underway in various Florida counties. And so we began to uh, emphasize uh, and contact various SOE or supervisor elections about the state, Mark Glazer did. Some of them were reluctant to get involved because then that would be egg on their face. Uh, they wouldn't want to think that they had anything to do with, uh, with being asleep at the switch at the time this was going on. Uh, but we kept on going, putting the pressure on them and keeping after this thing. So uh, it is beginning to build. And then in June, um, we get a news a tip out a break. Um, and we put this, I put it out there. Uh, on the uh, this is in 20 this is in 2021 when I put out the press release that we had done. so it's from this was June 2021 that I put out the press release that we've been investigating voter beep at the Lodgeville County Supervisor Elections Office so it's about a year 
from June 1st, 2021, those of you who wonder how things will operate and how long it takes to do something, we started this even before then, but I put out a press release June 1st, 2021, that was picked up by some of the outlets then. And a year later, you can see uh, that it's beginning to get momentum until finally it appears that the governor has got a hold of it and is really now earnestly going to take it and look into it even more. So we've got a timeline here uh, that uh, I can go through with you. Uh, uh, late February 2021, uh, the voter data showed uh, that the 40 individuals uh, voted in the 2020 election from a single address. There are more people at the jail who voted than have been picked up and charged. Uh, you only got 10 or picked up. We think there's more at the jail, but this is all, you know, we got the 10. So the other guys, if they're going to get scot free, um, good, you know, good fortune for them. But um, we, we informed in, in February of 2021, we informed uh, the, uh, the sheriff and we informed our state house rep, Chuck Clemens. Uh, in early March 2021, uh, we began through a $500 public records request. That's what they charged us for the public records to obtain the emails from Barton and TJ Pichet concerning felons who were eligible to register and or vote. For those of you who think public records are public records, they don't are not public records free. That's why we always ask for donations to this program. And we like to have sponsors. Uh, we, we, you know, th here's, a, here's an example. A $500 amount had to be paid to get the emails between TJ Pichet and Kim Barton. And those really, really are very interesting. We shared those with you. So in April 2021, after the end of the 2020 legislative session, uh, we met with Kramer. And... Uh, in May 13, 2021, uh, we followed it up again. And after some discussion, uh, uh, Kramer became aware of involvement in this by the SEC. It took some discussion uh, by the state attorney, about the supervised elections office, and specifically uh, concerning T.J. Pichet. Um, so uh, in June 1st, 2021, the Latro Chronicle ran the story. In June 2nd, 2021, Breitbart ran the story. And then in mid-June of 2021, T.J. Mache uh, resigns from the supervisor of elections office, curiously, just after he had been promoted, bought a house, a bunch of stuff, and also took the Fifth Amendment uh, when the FDLE came along talking to him. So uh, in July of 2021, we sent a list of 13 more ineligible felons who voted in the 2020 election that went to Kramer and was forwarded to FBLE. And then in September, 2021, a public records request uh, returned. We wanted emails from FBLE to the supervisor elections. Uh, and we wanted all those records for then 31 voters were identified. Uh, um, and PJ, we wanted to really dig into any kind of emails that might be there among between these people. Then on September 29th, 2021, WGFL ran a story. So I just wanted to give you the timeline of this. I don't know if that's on the um, uh, uh, War Top Bulletin Board or not. But anyway, then, of course, yesterday, uh, this is where we are. Um, DeSantis came out with a uh, 
freedom agenda, which is called uh, from by the Daily Wire, his playbook, the governor's playbook. And among these things, of course, are the governor's agenda for keeping the woke uh, world at bay. One is to uh, make sure that the parental rights are are taken care of in the school system and uh, uh, that all that business, you've heard all that. Um, You've also uh, heard that uh, um, uh, there's there's an effort to to make uh, um, state state attorneys um, do uphold the law, and he re, he replaced, uh, if you will, removed uh, a state attorney in South Florida for not uh, for picking and choosing uh, items that were clearly against the uh, will of the governor. For certain, and the will of the governor is the will of the people who prevail in the state of Florida. Um, so there's a Parents' Rights in Education Act. Um, as I say, he suspended the state attorney Andrew Warren, and uh, He's now looking into the election business and has begun to say we're going to pursue this and has this elections committee. Now, the battle, we also reported on the battle between uh, Kramer and uh, and the supervisor elections. We have a letter here, I think is out on the, on the Ward Scott file, a Ward Scott bulletin board, um, where uh, a supervisor elections forwarded names to Kramer of sex offenders uh, that had voted. And he said, I'm not going to look into it. It's not my job. And uh, that kind of irked her. We have this letter here that she wrote back to him on July 19, 2022, and said, listen, um, here, here's how it starts. This is how contentious it was. Uh, Mr. Kramer, Mr. Kramer, this is a supervisor of elections. Mr. Kramer, on, July, on June 15, 2022, my office received return documents that were sent to you by my office by a certified return receipt mail on May 31st, 2022. You stated in the return cover letter that the information I submitted was not sufficient and that, quote, an investigation requires a reasonable inquiry designed to ascertain facts through a detailed or careful examination, end quote. The detailed facts provided with this letter is from my investigation of information and documentation received from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Florida Comprehensive Case Information Systems, Florida Voter Registration System, and Florida Court Records. The document clear, these documents clearly show that these voters were not eligible to cast a ballot in the 2020 general election under Florida Statute 98.0751 and should not have been registered to vote under the laws of the state of Florida and Amendment 4 due to their convictions of felony sexual offenses. The felony, uh, the, the sex offenders never have their rights restored. So each of the nine voters is registered either as a sexual offender or a sexual predator. And so this is, this is Barton pushing back at Kramer. Kramer returned. And she sent it to him by a certified return receipt mail. He returned it, claiming investigation wasn't thorough enough. So by golly, she comes back and she does. And now we've got all the names we got all the SOE, Supervisor Election Investigative Findings, and if Kramer doesn't deal with it, what you're going to find out is the governor will. And I think that's the point of what the message that the governor is sending, because we have found that there is an uneven response by state attorneys and supervisor elections about taking time to look into this. They want to dismiss it as not statistically insignificant. Well, how, how, how do they know that if they haven't investigated we know there's hundreds like this. And so this has gotten to the governor's ear. 
obviously what the governor did yesterday was fire a salvo across the board, across the bow of the supervisors and the state attorneys. If you guys don't start doing this, we got an elections committee and we're going to do it. And you might get caught up in the crossfire. We've already got an example of that removal of a state attorney in Hillsborough on a different issue, not necessarily on uh, election beat, but on the abortion issues and stuff like that. So I can tell you that, you know, the Senate ain't going to play on this. And we're keeping the pressure, if you will, on these agencies because we keep putting forth at our own expense, at our own time, at the own passion, initiative, and intelligence of Mark Glazer, researcher, not an activist, a researcher, into what the doggone truth is. That's all this is about. It's what's the truth, and do you want to do anything about it? Or you don't want to sweep it under the rug? So that is where yesterday was so interesting to us when we heard that the governor was going to have a big announcement at uh, down in South Florida, and we didn't know what it was going to be about, but we were interested. And then, lo and behold, it comes across that it is about uh, this whole election bait situation, which we have been pounding away at uh, since we went into Kramer's office. And, uh, you know, which I when I read the timeline to you. So now it's very important that this stuff be cleaned up. Would you think before we have these arguments go on in the election process in the primaries and in the general election? So uh, we like to alert to you that. If you donate to this show, your money's not wasted. And if you support this show, we try to do the best job we can at protecting your interests by also by being an advocate for uh, the truth and for keeping you informed. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot to be said. So now uh, Breitbart has got it. This picked up yesterday. Florida is in the process of arresting 20 individuals who have been charged for voter beep. Sunshine State officials announced Thursday. Um, Governor Ron DeSantis, I'm quoting from Breitbart, signed landmark election integrity legislation in April, creating, remember the timeline I was giving you, uh, is corresponds, correlates almost exactly to the timeline, in April, creating an Office of Election Crimes and Security under Florida State Department, which reviews and investigation allegations of voter beep. And so the governor on Thursday addressed critics, Breitbart says, many of whom questioned the actions Florida has taken to address voter beep, all the way from making ballot harvesting a felony offense to banning Zuckerbucks. Zuckerbucks needed to be banned. People ask, how did Zuckerbucks work? Zuckerbucks paid for the proliferation of absentee ballots, which had no accountability. We have the documentation which shows that, and no accountability. You send these things out, and you don't have any control over them once they go out. And they could be dumped in boxes. A single person could bring about a bunch of them. Uh, uh, this is all financed by Zuckerbucks. $700,000 to the supervisor of elections here. She spent 500000 of it. And we detailed all that for you, went over it very early in this whole process, and kept you informed about it. Um, so... There you are. And, and here now we are taking a look at the announcement yesterday and now Breitbart has picked up on it. And it's really come all the way from our first Breitbart article, which we uh, uh, sent to them and which they published uh, over a year ago. So uh, um, now right now he is emphasizing in his talk yesterday, uh, Palm Beach, Broward and Miami-Dade. 
they're all over the they're all over the state uh, because the supervisor elections have not been doing their job. You know, the supervisor. I'm, I mean, I mean, I, 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 that's that's what it looks like. Okay, I mean, do they check the voter rolls or not? Well, no, I guess they don't. I've been worried about this ever since it was provisionary uh, uh, vote. You know, I told you how that works uh, once upon a time, and you know, the lack of, you know. You got to understand that once you elongate the, the voting time, and then once you make uh, uh, increase the variety of ways you can vote, you increase the probability that there will be less accountability. So um, we'll see how this works out. But the governor has said, <clears throat> if we catch you, you're going to pay a price for it. You will be charged. Now this is an interesting. This is a message I think to the state attorneys. The, the message is not so much to the people because they don't do the charging. But when the governor says, quote, now they're going to pay the price for it, so they will be charged. They are being charged and arrested with the election. Beep. Uh, it will be a third degree felony in the state of Florida. And individuals could face up to a $5,000 fine and up to five years in prison. That message, as I interpret it, is being sent to the state attorneys, do your job. And based upon his, the governor's reaction when a state attorney doesn't do his job, well, we can see what would happen possibly to that state attorney. If there's a state attorney who now does not want to take up this business of election B, now we will go to this election committee. We will go directly to the governor. We won't go to the state attorneys anymore. If we get a supervisor of elections office dragging its heels, or we get a state attorney dragging its heels, we'll go to the governor. We'll go directly to the governor. And then it's in the governor's court. And the governor has set up a place for us to go. So I just wanted to take a little bit of time and explain this to you. It's uh, it's uh, it's something that, that it requires a little bit of familiarity with this over a period of time for me to straighten it out for you because it's a, a little bit complicated. Now we're going to take a break. And when we take this break, after we take the break, I'll, uh, uh, for our sponsors and our donors and all the great people who, who, uh, who, who help us out, I'll come back and I'm going to give you an update on uh, the whole um, um, Drotos Riles versus Kramer situation, which has yet another wrinkle to it. So uh, um, production, let's take a time out now for our, uh, our uh, sponsors and our donors, okay? And uh, I'll see you in a little bit. I think production's paying attention to me. Um, maybe not. I don't think we're on a break yet. Let's take a break, production, please. Um, I don't think production's hearing me. But oddly enough, you know, um, hold on, my friends. Come on, everybody. Come, come on, everybody. 
this. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company you know, maintains she is 29, late, but, uh, you know, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old there. in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melman Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melman Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. 
If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Lewis Oil brings us the weather at the break. And uh, we got fall temperature outlook I want to go with you today. Uh, it's going to be warmer than average in the west for the fall and the northern tier. Here, we're still keeping one eye out uh, all the time for our hurricanes. Uh, a little bit cooler last night after a big rain we had here in the piney woods of north central Florida. But above uh, that, it probably get warmer today. But I can begin to feel a trace of relief for us. Not a lot, but some. The temperature will be above average for most of September through November all the way from northern Utah into eastern Montana, western North Dakota. Um, and that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a significant problem for them because uh, they're having a lot of drought issues there, we reported on yesterday. Um, the La Nina is the periodic cooling uh, of the equatorial eastern and central Pacific Ocean. And when the sea surface temperatures are cooler than average by at least 0.5 degrees Celsius, uh, along with constant atmospheric indications, uh, for at least three consecutive months, then you have La Nina. Um, so we're basically a lot of the weather upon La Nina conditions. So uh, they're going to be an anonymously warm October, November, according to Todd Crawford, his director of meteorology at Atmospheric G2. Uh, so La Nina has a lot to do with what the weather is. A giant jet stream way above everything. We know we got a Interesting bunch of currents always influencing our lives. We, of course, have the Gulf Stream in the water, and then we have this air stream up in the atmosphere. So that's our weather at the um, bottom of the hour. Um, you'll probably get some rain if you're lucky or uh, stay out of the lightning. It was a lady killed by lightning, I understand, yesterday. Very, very dangerous. Always, always move away anything you're doing from outside if you can when you hear that lightning. I want to talk a little bit now about an update on the uh, 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 Drotos Riles versus Bosshart situation. You know, yesterday we reported that the circuit court judge here uh, went ahead and certified the arbitrator's decision on that um, the Bosshart's right now, as of now, uh, owe almost 1.5 million to of Drotos and Riles. And uh, this is ruled because there was found to be no merit to their argument uh, at this uh, stage of the game. 
that there's anything that Motros and Riles did wrong. Now, I want to go back to the history of this because there have been some things that I've researched as to how the school board fits into this. And I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a scenario that perhaps um, you may uh, you may correct or uh, or somehow modify or have a little different wrinkle on. I've been putting this together because it is kind of a mystery. Um, and getting the documents to document all this is not the easiest thing to do. As I just went over with you, getting the documents for what happened with uh, voting was not all that easy to do, and in some cases expensive. So here is basically kind of what happened in terms of the school board property's relationship to the Drotos Riles Bossart uh, arguments going on over trade secrets. Um, the school board property, which is on 241, um, on which used to be Farnsworth Road, is 143rd Street, which is, um, of course, um, um, 241 now, County Road 241. And it's right down near Jonesville, uh, which used to be way out in the country. I used to ride my motorcycle out to Rosie's, I think was the name of it. The bar was so far out, we thought we'd gone halfway to the Gulf Coast. But now it is one of the most intensely populated areas of the county, and it's going to increase so. So the land values are going up and up and up there. And that which had been woods and wilderness and unused for decades is now going to be very much in demand. And that demand is going to be going up as the market goes up. It's driven by the market. So that property that the school board eventually purchased was listed originally uh, March, uh, uh, March 8th, 2017. And uh, the price was $2.6 million um, and, and 17. Now, the market then was not what it is a couple of years later. So there was a price change in October 19 of 17 of 2 million. And it sold in 18 for 1.8 million. Now it sold to a developer, a, a, no, no, somebody who knows what he's doing. I mean, he is, uh, he is fully aware and, and, and develops land and buys land. And uh, he's a pretty good size developer all the way from Atlanta, as I understand it, to uh, Palm Beach. So, um, uh, he uh, um, purchased the land, uh, as I understand it, when Grotos and Riles were with uh, with the Mossart. And for some reason, the deal fell through. Deals fall through all the time. There can be contingencies upon getting zoning. Um, or, you know, a lot of things can make a deal fall through. Financing can make it fall through. Uh, uh, the, the sincerity or interest of the uh, buyer, seller, but anyway, um, the, the, the Drotos and Riles were transaction, transaction brokers. Um, they, you know, the transaction broker just tries to make the deal work and tries to connect the two entities with the seller and the buyer and gets a commission uh, from each, if you, and, and for a portion of it anyway. And that's what they were, transaction brokers. But when the deal fell through, um, Drotos and Riles left Ballsart. Now, this is... All subject to your input if you have a little different wrinkle on this, but this is that I've been putting together and checking out with people who know this situation. So when uh, Grotos and Riles went to Collier's, the developer uh, who had had the listing with them when they were at Bossart uh, said, well, I want uh, to, uh, I still want to list with the Grotos and Riles at Collier's. So he did. And 
uh, Rotos and Riles sold it to the school board for 3.5 million. Now, the, um, when, the, when the deal went through, uh, this upset uh, a couple of people which have a relationship in this, which are kind of interesting. And I'm just gonna tell you that um, uh, Cornell and Simon are neighbors at the lake as I understand it. And my understanding from the real estate insiders is uh, that the commission on that sale uh, of the school board property, uh, which they bought, uh, would have been about $120,000. Now, as I understand it, um, Simon has been flipping, quote unquote, flipping houses, which I never thought was ethical. I, I, I've been a broker. I just don't believe in doing that. But people do it. What they do is they buy the house and they know the house is going to be worth more in six months because the market's so hot. Uh, so they go ahead and buy it and then they don't really ever live in it and maybe don't even close on it and flip it and make that month, month that money. So the, the, the reportage that I get is that Simon has made more money flipping houses with Cornell and Balsart uh, than uh, Grotos and Riles would make on one sale to the school board. But you can put that just over on the side. I don't have any documentation for that, but that is pretty well known among the real estate professionals. So uh, it, it kind of explains why uh, Cornell made a vociferous presentation in favor of keeping Simon as a superintendent publicly at the superintendent of brouhaha when it was all going on over whether they were going to let her go or not. Uh, certain, Tina Certain piles onto this uh, because she thinks that the school board paid too much for it. And, and so uh, even though it's all signed, sealed, and delivered and done uh, uh, according to Hoyle, uh, and, and, and now the irony is that if the school board is upset with the purchase of the land, uh, they could sell it now for more than they paid for it. Grotos and Riles would even uh, do uh, broker the sale for them and take no commission. Uh, so, you know, you can make up your mind about that. So um, the, the, uh, the, 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 that, that is connected. You see, this commission argument is uh, connected, no doubt, uh, to the commission argument in, I would suspect, uh, to the uh, retaliation uh, by uh, Boss Hart against Riles uh, claiming trade secrets, which apparently, according to the, the documents that have been filed with the court, was a manufactured definition of trade secrets. And, and, and this was done in, uh, you know, to, to, to contest or contest, apparently, possibly, uh, the commission that would have been uh, shared with Bossart on the school board property, Cornell being the chief financial officer yet to be deposed, whose deposition has been requested to be sealed. Um, so that that commission argument uh, maybe has sour grapes to it and is complicated by the fact that certain ways it weighs in on it and, and uh, makes the big play for uh, some being uh, you know, the, the market behind the, the, the truth of the matter is you're dealing with a sophisticated seller, a developer who knows how to do these things. And the market is driving the price of it. If you take a look at that corner down there uh, in 241 and Newberry Road, I mean, the whole thing is the, the, the markets and all supermarkets are too small for the population already. So uh, you got to factor in the market is also influencing what uh, will be people will pay for it. And, uh, um, you know, 
uh, whether or not these sales goes through and, and with whom you're dealing and what the purpose is. So um, I thought that was an interesting connection to bring you up to date on uh, because people have been asking me, how does the school board uh, contract fit into uh, this commission argument and trade secret uh, uh, accusation? And when you listen to the liars talk, uh, they'll almost not mention the contract. I listened to Omar, the tent maker, Hooper Javera, Hachavera, whatever his name is there, um, are trying to mumble contract when he was before uh, of the judge. And, and so, uh, you know, this has to be the contract they're talking about. And this contract maybe has to do with this whole idea of uh, making, I don't know, then you lose it. It's, it. It appears to be motivated as all sorts of human uh, characteristics that are attributed to the behavior of the principals in this situation, mainly on the side of the boss arts. And uh, you have to just wait and see how all this shakes out and what the evidence shows. So it right now is all twined up, no doubt, somewhat at least, with the school board property, which the school board currently owns and could currently sell for more. Hope personally, I don't want a school there. The traffic on 241 is out just unbelievably congested and going to get worse. Um, 241 for years was a beautiful scenic, decades really, a beautiful scenic road that went by some of the most beautiful country in this county. Uh, and now it's becoming a a city uh, congested two-lane um, highway that is really rather dangerous to, to drive on. There, There's one traffic light that's been put in um, before you get to Newbury, and that's at the, where the soccer fields are and everything with the county. But you need a traffic light at 39th, and you're going to need one at Millhopper Road. And that's going to be, it's going to have to come. Because on the other end, we're up here in the city of Alachua, gorging this place with development. Uh, unfortunately, you know, this community of Alachua, of course, this chambers and all that, the way they love it. Boy, look at the look at the growth of the city of Alachua. I hate the word growth. I really do. I hate the word growth. Um, but you got more and more people coming here. They are piling out of the Yankee states. Um, they don't like New York. They don't like California. Uh, we all hope they don't bring their politics with them, but they just absolutely can't stand the place. So they're coming here. And we were talking uh, yesterday at a, at, a, at a luncheon about what this, these are deals here. When you hear a house, somebody bought a house for 600000 who moved here from California. You have to realize that what they sold their thousand square foot house for in California will buy three or four times that much right now with Florida. So when you talk about affordable housing, once again, as I've said all along, affordable housing is affordable for whoever can afford to buy it. And what's going to happen is the prices of the homes and land and everything else in Florida is going to go up as the politics get worse in these progressive states. And that's going to squeeze out the local people and particularly the young people. The young people who are working hard here they're not going to be able to buy homes because they're going to be priced out of it by people moving out of the other states where the inflated real estate values allow them to buy much more here than they had where they were so they can sell where they were and still have money left over and buy something very nice here. 
That's the market. That's the way it works. Now, the only way you can succeed in this is to get in the way of progress. Get yourself a real estate license. Get yourself schooled up and go out and get in the way of progress. And wherever the big guys put a quarter, you put a nickel or you put a dime. That's how you do it. You just watch. And you can't play at the level they can, but you can manage perhaps to get something that's in the way of them. They've got to buy to get what they want. This is just sense. This is the way you play that real estate game. And it's amazing how many people do extremely well off real estate in the state of Florida. And you don't produce anything. A realtor produces nothing unless he's out developing something and taking the risk, which is a different story. I've done both. I've sold places, land and houses, and I've developed and I've restored and renovated. And that the, the most the, the, if you want to get into a money pit, renovate a historic house. You'll never have enough money to do it right. So uh, I've been I've done all those things. And and and, and, and so it, this is just the market. This is the way it works. So it's going to be really interesting when all these lawsuits are finished. And all these, all these, and there's going to be some more. I mean, there's going to be some big time lawsuits and, and, and it's going to be expensive and it's going to drag out. I mean, it's going to be something that we'll have to keep up on with you and keep you posted on. So that was my story on the Bossar deal and on the election deal. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I want to take just a little bit of time with you and, and, and talk with you, uh, of course, about the, the, uh, the raid, so-called Mar-a-Lago raid, and what I guess is the most provocative of this has to do with, uh, of course, uh, she doesn't spare uh, 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 Ann Coulter. She doesn't spare any words uh, when she writes about something, and she wrote about the Mar-a-Lago raid, if you will, and she compared this to Breonna Taylor as only Ann Coulter could do. Most people are afraid to touch the Rihanna Taylor thing or being uh, afraid of being called a racist. But she goes through this and doesn't do any uh, tippy toeing around the issue. Uh, she 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 also knows grammar. She opens up her her article by saying uh, uh, she, she uh, using a passive voice. She there's an active voice and a passive voice in 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 writing, and she knows the difference. So. Um, she writes in the opening of her article, Breitbart, let's hope Merrick Garland's search of Mar-a-Lago is based on more evidence than his indictment of the Louisville, Kentucky police officers involved in the raid on Breonna Taylor's house. And he says, she says the construction I just used um, involved in the raid on instead of who raided uh, involved in the raid is passive voice and who raided is active voice. And she used it deliberately because she says the officers who actually shot Taylor have not been charged, apparently on the flimsy grounds that they were being shot at. See, they were the officers that shot Breonna Taylor were being shot at before they shot. And she's making this distinction. Um, So she's saying the, the attorney general indicted officers who prepared the affidavit used to obtain the warrant to search Taylor's home. In the words of the indictment, the affidavit contained information that was false, misleading and out of date, and the officers lacked probable cause for the search. But 
the indictment also alleges that the officers knew they were providing false information. Well, we talked about this. Uh, we talked about this when we talked about my experience on Crime Stoppers. Time and time again, I have seen this story where a woman is living with a drug dealer. Or the drug dealer has forced himself on the life of the woman and is with the woman. Uh, it's it's a, almost a common story. I can't tell you how many times we've run across it in uh, Crime Stoppers. So Bronner Taylor was very much involved with a very well-known drug dealer, Demarcus Glover. He was one of Louisville's biggest suppliers of cocaine and fentanyl. And he was, by definition, extension, she says, a murderer because fentanyl kills. And on March 13, 2020, the police executed simultaneous search warrants on two of his, quote unquote, trap houses, as well as the home of his bag woman, Brianna. She contends that she care that Brianna Taylor carried money for the drug dealer. And the actual facts of the case are spelled out by her at Taylor's house. Police announced themselves and got no response. They announced themselves again, no response. They announced themselves again, no response. So finally, they used a battering ram to enter, and almost immediately, an officer was shot. Now, you remember in the Jeff Childers uh, uh, lawsuit for uh, uh, Roy Cassot that he makes the point that the irresponsible issuance of the search warrant for the Collier's International Office could and perhaps was intended to make possible the murder by cops of, in his case, his client, Casso, if I remember this correctly. And I, I, I mentioned to you that, boy, that is a stretch. Is it not or not? Jeff Childers is not giving the stretches. So he's really pointing out here, when you send a heavily armed police force to a place to make an arrest, anything can happen. Lots of which are not good. So in the case of Breonna Taylor, they had a search warrant. They announced they were there three times, entered, and nothing good happened after that. In the case of Collier International, they didn't announce it. They did. They just grabbed anybody and everybody who was anywhere around it, including innocent bystanders, not involved on in the warrant at all, not on the warrant at all. So there could have been, there could have been an exchange of gunfire if one of those innocent bystanders had been carrying concealed weapon permit. And these guys, you know, you don't know all the things that could go wrong. So it's not out of the realm of the imagination, is it? Chilmers doesn't think it is. That is possible that the irresponsible issuance of an indictment followed by a warrant served, which swept up innocent people, could have ended up and accidental shootings. Because it, it certainly did a Breonna Taylor situation. They weren't even innocent. 
except you can claim she was, which the, was, the, was the big claim, but she really wasn't because she was there. She was condoning it. She was participating in it. So the feds um, here, she questions, and we don't know because we don't have what's in the, in the warrant, um, come to the president's home. The president has his own security there. You know that, don't you? The president has his own security. What could have happened if his security and the government, and I understand the government were not in uniforms, had gotten involved in some sort of misunderstanding, and if you will, crossfire, exchange of weapons. There's a lot of things here that are really subject to more and more scrutiny for the health of all of us. And these three issues kind of go together in many ways. The Breonna Taylor situation, the Boss Heart situation, and the Mar-a-Lago situation. So I invite you to have a think about that and to ponder it. And do hopefully none of us will be at the wrong place at the wrong time, caught up in some sort of raid that we knew nothing about and were not involved in and mentioned in and yet zip tied and our phones taken and our computers taken and you can't get them back. They've had to go to court to get this stuff back. Because it's all part of a quote unquote investigation. Well, there you are. It's all very interesting if you're involved in community issues here. Um, the community mystery uh, saga installment is being written here in a couple of ways. Most profoundly interesting one to people I get asked about every day is the developing uh, story of uh, Grotos Riles versus Boss Hart. And of course, right along with that, right behind it, is where are we going with uh, uh, election integrity? So. I'll try to keep you posted as best I can. Uh, have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.